It is an honor for me to be invited to join you again, particularly when it's an opportunity to preach from 2 Corinthians, which is just one of my favorite books of the Bible, and, uh, and to be able to make a contribution. And then to have Corey introduce me was a blessing as well, because I, I just can't tell you how thrilled I am that we get to work together each and every week. And one of the highlights of the conference that we just had was being with, with Corey in a room where Corey is responsible to train these international network leaders who represent just dozens and dozens of churches that are being planted all over the world. And to, and to recognize that Corey has been formed by this church and he's now out there forming leaders. And so you all have a direct relationship to the fruit being born in these churches that are being planted. And I, I think when I, when I went on to report like the highlights of the conference, I was pointing to, that, to those training times with Corey in the room and these international leaders. So I'm, I'm just so grateful to be a part of all this and grateful to have Corey there, there as well. Yes, more important than any network is text. Our text for this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so you can open up. We are in the series, Strength in Weakness, and my assignment is chapter 7, or chapter 4, verse, verses 7 through 12. So, I'm going to begin reading that. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Title of this morning's message is The Clay Pot Conspiracy. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Lord, this is, this is your word, and we come this morning with a deep desire to understand it and to see it work within our soul and see it applied in our life. And we pray that you would give each of us some small treasure from this passage that will inform us in these days ahead and inspire us with a vision of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1947, a young Bedouin shepherd was on a hill near the Dead Sea, 
and was distracted from his task of, of watching the sheep long enough for one little lamb to wander off. Upon realizing what had happened, he immediately went in search of the animal and found himself among the limestone cliffs on the northeast side of the Dead Sea. And while he was searching, he found a cave. It was a dark cave that was kind of tucked in the middle of the hillside. And being a teenager, he did what teens do when they discover caves. He, he picked up a stone and he hurled it into the cave. And he did so never expecting that the next sound that he would hear would be the sound of a clay pot breaking, which immediately incited his curiosity. And so he slowly crawled through the cave opening where, where the young shepherd found this row of large clay pots. And, and he popped the lid on one and then on another, and he, he slowly was able to discover these ancient scrolls. Some of them were wrapped in linen. Some of them had been blackened with age. And he stood there, not recognizing at that moment that he would be remembered in history as having discovered one of the greatest archaeological finds in the 20th century, the Dead Sea Scrolls. A discovery of incomprehensible value, yet stored in clay pots. A treasure in jars of clay. Now that story forms a great metaphor for the point that Paul is delivering to the Corinthians and to us as well through this section of Scripture that we just read. And it is one of enormous significance as we sit and stand here today seeking to deal with the uncertainty of the last three years, with the complexity that life seems to deliver to us each, each and every week now, and with the need for a kind of hopeful resilience as we move into the future. And I know that because you are all already into chapter 4 of this section that you know, or of this book, you know something of the context. That, so, but let me just give you a brief overview. So Paul has, let's call it an opposition party in the Corinthian church. And the mission of these super apostles are to win the Corinthians over to themselves. And their strategy for achieving that goal was to attack and discredit Paul. In other words, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. In many ways, Paul was an easy target. I mean, tradition has it that Paul was a, uh, I guess the best way to say it was a very unattractive man. He was apparently afflicted with some kind of eye condition, which is why he says in Galatians 4, if you would, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the detractors say that not only is he weak in appearance, but his speech is extremely unskilled. He's utterly inept, is the point they're making. And so we're talking about a man that if he walked into the room, when Paul walked into a room, he hardly cut an imposing figure. He was too plain, too contemptible, too weak. And so Paul was in a position in his life and in his ministry where he must make a defense. And so this is the defense 
that Paul makes. To the charge that he is insufficient, he says, I am guilty. To the charge that he is an unskilled orator, he says, I am guilty. To the charge that he is weak, Paul says, I am guilty. This is his argument. This is the logic of his defense. He basically stands throughout 2 Corinthians and says, you think my weakness has disqualified me, but actually my weakness is my credentials. My weakness is the ground of God's power in my life. Because when weakness meets God's power, strength abounds. That's the clay pot conspiracy. And I know that word conspiracy kind of has dark overtones, but, but I think it works because it reveals God's hidden plan to sabotage the enemy. God's hidden plan to display his power and to spark life within our souls. And so it's God's secret design to humble the proud. It's God's secret design to abolish boasting. It's God's secret design to inspire us with a hopeful resilience that we too will finish well. We're talking about the clay pot conspiracy. And the clay pot conspiracy is as simple as this. It's my weakness plus God's power equals adorable life. Adorable life. Now, there's two different strategies that, that, that are part of this, this conspiracy that God has. It's a conspiracy, again, that gives us this hopeful resilience, this durable life. Strategy number one is this. <laughs> Store treasure in clay. That's God's strategy. Store treasure in clay. Actually, let's just go right back to verse 7. But we have treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, let me just address the obvious question. What is this treasure that Paul is talking about? And, and I think to answer that question in a more comprehensive way, we have to at least go back to the first seven verses of chapter 4, where Paul starts by talking about this ministry that he has by the mercy of God in verse 1. And then skipping down to verse 6, he says, it is a ministry to show the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the gospel ministry. He's talking about the knowledge of the incomparable worth of Jesus Christ and the priceless message of the Savior who left the glory of heaven, died to save sinners, and it's a privilege that we all share together by virtue of our union with Christ and by the call of the Great Commission to share that message with others, to carry that good news, to carry the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to carry that treasure. So, here comes the mind bender, because this is where Paul goes with that, with that privilege that we have. He says, this incomprehensible treasure is stored in jars of clay. And he, he starts with this, he comes out of the gate with this, this stunning contrast, the infinite value of the gospel stowed in clay jars. Now, what is meant by that? Well, 
the, the clay jars are quite simply our, our bodies, our, our lives. We are the receptacles of the gospel. We are the clay pots. By the way, clay jars were, were common pots in all the homes back when this was written. Think of, think of them as like earthenware. They were used for cooking and eating and containers and bedpans. I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says to Timothy, Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And then he goes on to say, some, of, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. The clay was for dishonorable use. We're talking basically about baked dirt. That's what clay was. Think of those disposable red cups that many of us used to drink out of back in the fraternity days. Think of the Chinese food containers that you get when you get takeout at a Chinese place. We're talking about a container that was delicate, common, fragile, powerless, breakable. Its chief value was in actually being a container. God looks down through this passage and says, that's Paul, and oh, by the way, that's you as well. That's me as well. We are the clay that stores the treasure of God. See, do you see the subterfuge here that God is going about? Now, don't miss the irony, because think about how how we, we all tend to think about the valuables that we have, and we store our valuables. I mean, if, if we have cash, if we have a decent amount of cash, we store it in the bank. If we have a nice car, we try to put it in a garage. If we have jewelry, we try to put it under lock and key. When, when I was seven years old, my brother called me over to this gravel parking lot that was right across the street from our house, and he said, Dave, come here, I want to show you something. And he opened his hand, and in his hand was this gold nugget, or at least what looked like a gold nugget, because I didn't see all the, all the gold spray paint cans that were like scattered all around his feet, but this gold nugget. I'm like, whoa, where'd you get that? And he's like, right, right here, man, they're all throughout this lot. I said, they're all throughout this lot. He says, guess what? I bought the lot. And so, I mean, this is my brother. He's like 12 years old. I'm seven. And he says, and because you're my brother, I'm going to give you this one gold nugget. And so he kind of slowly just places it in my hand. And I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, in my hand is something infinitely precious, infinitely, like, incomprehensibly valuable to me. And so I go in the house, and I run up the steps, and I, I take out the shoebox, and I put it in the shoebox, and I wrap it up with, with duct tape because, because you know that, 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 that duct tape is impregnable to burglars. They just can't get through it, and this is the way my mind is thinking. And then I was really clever. I stored it in the bottom drawer of my dresser because I'm thinking, who would ever think of going into the bottom drawer of a dresser to get this valuable thing? Because to me, it was a treasure. So I wanted to lock it up. I wanted to store it. I wanted to keep it in the safest place I could find. 
This morning, God says to us, okay, here's step one of the conspiracy. I'm going to store my treasure in a bedpan. I'm going to store my treasure in a clay pot. I'm going to store it in something messy. I'm going to store it in something that breaks. Why? Well, it's verse 7. To show that the surpassing glory, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's the clay pot conspiracy. He stores treasure in clay to show power. He stores treasure in clay to make himself big and us right-sized. And the Corinthian troublers just can't see this because they only look on the outside. They assume treasure was always stored in something stronger. See, they were sold on a whole other equation. They were sold on a whole other conspiracy. Their conspiracy was my strength plus God's power equals durable ministry which just magnified their strength and said very little about the God they proverbially served. And I get that. Rarely a day passes where I don't want to be seen in front of somebody in my strengths rather than in my weaknesses. And we live life in many ways rejecting anything that suggests that we are weak. I mean, there's just this sense where, I mean, you know what it's like, that the pot must shine. You know, the pot's got to shine. So we, po- we polish that pot. We po- we'll, sit in, we'll sit in small group and just polish that pot. Talk about Jesus, but polish the pot. Make ourselves look great, polish the pot. Because we, we live out of this sense of, no, it's got to be my strength plus God's power, my strength plus God's power. And that's going to result in a durable ministry. So we, you know, we'll, we'll retweet the best things about ourselves or, or we'll live beyond our means to create the appearance that we're something more than we really are. Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone in your life, maybe outside of your home, who, who knows where you don't shine And they know where you don't shine because you've told them, because you've acknowledged it, because you've opened up the clay pot and shown the the reality of it. Who who knows where you are most vulnerable? Who knows where you are most, most tempted? I think one of the best measures of our humility is whether we open our life with those that are in our life. And don't assume that they're going to know things or assume that they're going to come, but we make it easy on them. Because that's that's not only pursuing wisdom and perspective, but it's it's bringing a reality to the fact that we're clay pots. And in those clay pots, the treasure can shine, but we've got to recognize the reality of what holds the treasure and not simply live polishing the pots. So that's strategy number one, store treasure in clay. And then comes the second strategy, make death produce life. This is God's strategy. Make death produce life. So again, back to the context. These these intruders in the Corinthian church just boasted, all the time boasting of their power, walking around boasting about the triumphs of their leadership. And so Paul was responding by saying, okay, let, 
allow me to share a little bit of my life. Let me give you a slice. Let me give you, give you a day from my life in ministry. And he does this by providing a series of four different contrasts. Four different contrasts that display how the, the experience of weakness <clears throat> resulted in more power for Paul. So one commentator I was reading on this section said that this is one of the grand rhetorical moments in Paul's writing, the beginning of these contrasts in verse 8, where Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I mean, he brings this word afflicted out first thing. Afflicted means, it means pressured. It means feeling squeezed. I mean, you, you know this feeling. You, you know that anxious feeling of having so many fires burning in your life, so many plates spinning that you just can't keep them up. And at any minute, something's going to come crashing to the ground. Paul says, that's me. Paul says, that's my life. I'm squeezed, but... I'm squeezed, but by no means squashed. In other words, even though I experience the reality, even though that defines my day, even though that's something that as an embodied soul I live within, I experience this anxiety, I experience this affliction, God still, by His grace and through His power, keeps my head above the water. I still move forward in fruitfulness because of the gospel and because of the power of God that's within me. He goes on to say, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Perplexed is, is that, that feeling of, of, of being cornered, like, like, like you don't have any way forward. Or maybe baffled is a better word for the word that's used here, baffled. Paul is, is describing life as just feeling like he does not have the interpretation, does not have the discernment, does not have the way forward, does not have the foresight, is not able to forecast the future, doesn't have a full sense of where things are going, can't make any sense out of all that he's walked through, but he says, I'm totally like that. I live each and every day like that, but I'm not driven to despair by it. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And by the way, when Paul uses the word persecution, it's rarely used in a figurative way. <laughs> you know, like, like, like Paul was dissed at the office one day and somebody said something about him being a Christian. That didn't really qualify as persecution for Paul. Paul had enemies attack. When Paul used the word attack, he meant literally attacking me like with rods, beating me, that kind of attack, slandering him, beating him to near death. Yet, he says, yeah, I was attacked, yet never forsaken. Now just think about how you feel when you feel under attack. Just go to the last time you felt, whether it was emotionally or physically, what, you know, how, how it immediately bankrupts your faith and attacks the sense of identity that we have. Paul, Paul's kind of saying, I could go there, but I never felt forsaken. I could go from my flaws to not feeling forsaken, from my faults to not feeling forsaken, from my failures even and not feeling forsaken. 
And these are extraordinary statements coming from a clay pot simply because the power of God was in him. Struck down, but by no means destroyed. And by the way, again here, struck down means literally, like I think the, it literally means whacked with a weapon. That, that's the word there. And I don't know what this refers to, whether this is like Acts 14 where Paul was stoned, dragged outside of Lystra, left for dead. But, but here's the point of the contrast being made, that for the Christian, life is in a clay jar. A clay jar is brittle. A clay jar is vulnerable. We experience affliction and bafflement and persecution and feeling struck down. And this is, to use the words of Paul in, in verse 10, this is that the death of Jesus that we will carry in, that we carry in our bodies. It's to, it's to give us that experience. God wants us to have that experience. Why would God want us to have that experience? Because verse 10 leads us to verse 11, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See, God supplied power so that Paul was not crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. He was durable. And, and, and it's God's response to, and Paul's response to critics who believe that it's actually my victories plus God's power equals a durable life. Paul's basically saying, by no means. No, why? Because God had a conspiracy that it's here in weak places that I encounter the power of God. It's in the reality that I live in this clay jar that I encounter the power of God. It's in the brittleness of my life. It's in the brittleness sometimes of my emotions that I encounter the reality of the power of God. You know, one of the most sobering moments for the Christian is realizing that God intends to break the jar to let the treasure shine. I mean, that's really a sobering moment because you get a sense for how God works in us in order to keep us, how he works in us in order to work. Who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. I mean, we just have to stop and ponder that. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. I don't know about you, but I don't tend to imagine life that way, being given over to death. I, don't, I didn't sign on for a Christianity that looked that way, to be honest. And, and none of us were trained for this. No one went to college for this. No, none of us signed on as this for our career track, being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And actually, the irony of this passage is who is giving us over? Who is breaking the pot here? We assume the enemy is breaking the pot. We assume the world is breaking the pot, that the circumstances are breaking the pot, the lost job is breaking the pot, the financial pressure, the physical affliction. That's what's breaking the pot. Here, God is breaking the pot. One of the most surprising things about Christianity is that God takes strong people and pulverizes them until they become weak so they can become these, these receptacles for the power of God. If someone were to ask me about my biggest surprise as a believer, 
over the last 42 years, I would say that if not the, one of the biggest surprises has been that I never thought my strengths could become so dangerous and my weaknesses so glorious. Who knew? Who knew that that's how God ran the program? I never knew that my death could be the means of my most effective ministry. I never knew that the weakness that I would need to embody in order to move forward with the gospel would be something that would be a blessing to others and a torture to me. I was in the same denomination for over three decades. Same local church for 28 years. For me, my church was to me what your church is to you. It was a haven. It was a sanctuary. It was a place of beauty. A place where Kim and I raised all of our kids. A place where our best friends resided. But a series of extraordinary and incomprehensible events converged about 10 years ago, resulting in our departure. Have you ever had, have you ever had life change so quickly and so dramatically that it just spins your mind off into all kinds of places and takes, takes several years to even find your land legs on where you're supposed to stand in the new place that you're walking? Where you have a series of circumstances that just, just kind of bust the door of your life down and they crash the party and, and, the, and the clay pot just kind of threatens to collapse under the pressure of the whole thing. That was what that was like for us. And I had to struggle, to be honest, with feeling defrauded by God because the values that I lived by didn't deliver the fruit I had anticipated. I thought there was this covenant and a secret agreement that God and I had that if I lived in my 30s, 40s, and 50s this way, that it would deliver fruit and I could kind of coast on. And then my history, my relationships, my job, my family, much of what I had spent my adult life attached to was gone like that. And the group that I was with didn't treat departures in a good way. It was more like a sense of betrayal. And I'm no Paul, but I felt like I began to taste something of what was described in verse 11, where Paul says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And, and, and yes, there have been unique and remarkable doors that I believe have opened for me from the new place that, that, that we stand in and the new opportunities that we're living in. But each and every door that I pass through, I walk through with a limp. I mean, you know, let's be honest. If God were to show all of us what the job description of an older saint is really going to be. It's basically like you've got to embrace emotional, emotional shredding and limp forward. And, and have it 
have it be done in a way that the clay pot is evident, but the power is surpassing, and it's moving you forward, and it's giving you grace, not for the big picture, but for the next day, for the next step. But who knew this? I mean, really, who knew? How did we know? Who knew that weakness and grief and pain would become a cross upon which we must consent to be impaled? Who knew that? Who, I, I never dreamed that nestled into the areas of my greatest weakness would be this inexplicable grace that would deliver power in the darkest moments of my life. And that the irony of it all would be that the secret of enduring actually is not rooted in our ability at all. It's rooted in our inability. Not, it's not in our ability. It's in God's ability. It's not in our power. It's in God's power. That every lesson that God wants to, wants to teach us somehow inevitably finds its way back to that fundamental message. It's not our ability. It's his ability. It's not our power. It's his power. And so what does God do? God breaks the pot to free the power. He breaks the pot. And even that description right now for some of you, that's come crashing down on you because that describes where you're living right now. The pot is being broken. The pot is being shredded. Your weaknesses, your struggles, the very place that your mind is going while I'm speaking this word and this passage is being read, the power of God is there, and the power of God is going to be released from there. Paul says, I carry death, verse 10, that the life of God may be manifested in me. It's so contradictory. It's such the opposite of how we tend to think about God, how we tend to think about progress. We come in thinking that kingdom, the kingdom of God advances by strong people using amazing gifts to create epic fruit. That's what we think. The kingdom advances by strong people using amazing gifts to create this epic fruit. And God says, mm, not really. No. God says, when I bid men and women to follow me, I invite them to come and die. And when I want my gospel to ring forward from their life, I break the pot. I break the pot that the power of God might shine forth. So verse 12, death will be at work in us, but life in you. Your death producing life. Your death producing life in other people. It's the clay pot conspiracy. If you're here and you're a leader, boy, you need to get this. Because <clears throat> this, this is God's strategy. This is God's whole program. This is God's strategy for mission. He breaks the pot so that the light will shine. He breaks the pot so that the gospel will go forward. That Your weakness, the weakness that you feel in taking the gospel across the street to your neighbor or, or whatever it might be, reaching this community, planting a church. Your weakness is not an obstacle to the mission. It's a condition for achieving it. It's a condition for achieving the mission. And I get it. That's not what we expected. <laughs> you know, we, it takes a lot of courage to be a leader. It takes a lot of courage to grow old. Don't you feel that? We're like, we're, we're like I, don't, I don't get it. I I used to be happy. I, I, I used to laugh. I used to sleep. 
I came into this thing expecting hard work, but not affliction, disorientation, persecution, living struck down. Didn't expect that at all. But some of you can relate to this. You know, there's a sense of, there's a cloud of discouragement that's hanging suspended over your life or a depression that's chewing at your soul. Or you feel like darkness is, is this very close companion that, that is there each and every day. And, and all, I, all I'm saying is, don't take this wrong. Welcome to Christianity. We're all the same. And, and there is a thing of beauty that God wants to do as he delivers us to that place and delivers us from that place. And it's not supposed to terminate there. The, the, the conspiracy is not my self-loathing plus God's power equals adorable life. No, that's, that's not it. No, it's, it's just that the clay pot, you know, we have a difficult time being convinced of the clay pot. You know, we don't want to live in a clay pot. We, we kind of think that it's something more than a clay pot. We buff this thing every day. We, we try to do all the kind of things to convince us that it's not a clay pot. So God works in our life, constantly working to convince us of what we really are, who we really are, and yet he's gracious and loving enough to tuck the power of God inside of the pot. But then he's got to break the pot to get the power. Who knows where you're weak this morning? You know, the very thing that you're rolling over in your mind, let's take that a step further. Who knows about that? Where you're struggling. Where you're feeling broken. I mean, the Apostle Paul, who had been to the third heaven, had no problem disclosing his weaknesses to the Corinthians of all people. I mean, he's talking to the Corinthians. My friends, we have inked a contract for death that a new power might shine bright from us. And God says, yeah, that, that darkness may be a flaw, but it's also part of the conspiracy. It's a conspiracy that will also become a credential in your life. You say, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. But, but it's part of God's plan. In fact, it's it's the way it worked for the Savior as well. Think about this. This whole enterprise, and I'm wrapping up here. This whole enterprise of Christianity was, was kind of launched in the same clandestine manner. God didn't storm the earth from heaven. He didn't rain down shock and awe. He didn't marshal angels to create a marketing plan to roll out a big Jesus release. No, Jesus left glory. What He became a servant. He was arrested as a criminal. He was beaten like a felon. He was stripped naked and humiliated. He died the death of a cursed man. His clay pot was broken for our sins. And then God raised him by the power of God because the clay pot was broken. Raised him by the power of God on the third day. Paul says it in chapter 13, we didn't have time to read this, but for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. So Jesus took the worst that we could do to him and miraculously turned it into the very best that he could do for us. 
And so it's through the weakness of the cross that we preach. It's through the foolishness of the cross that God's power meets our weakness. God's power meets our weakness. It's through the breaking of the clay pot, just as the, as the shepherd boy did in the caves on the northeastern rim of the Dead Sea. It's through the breaking of the clay pot that other people see the treasure. So it's my weakness plus God's power equals a durable life. It's the clay pot conspiracy, and it is magnificent. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for each and every person here who was identifying with the breaking of the clay pot. And Lord, I want to pray that, that you would speak into those, those cracked places and that you would breathe life and that the power of your spirit would burn would, would move up through it. And Lord, but would begin to incite and inspire faith towards you, a vision in you, a reminder of the, of the cross and the resurrection, and a hope for the future, a hope that you are giving us all through these experiences a durable life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.